0: It's that time, everybody. We are going to make our way back. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's time to pick up where we left off. It's a great passage filled with awesome insights. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, now as we see the five exhortations and some of the behaviors that make or break the church, that either make it a healthy, vibrant Productive uh, community of faith, or, or not, make it something that brings dishonor to your name, Lord. When we don't do life the way you have commanded, so help us to pay attention, Lord. Uh, make this a part of who we are, in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across a funny post, uh, the Babylon Bee. Many of you uh, like to check that out. It's a satirical site. There, uh, They like to make fun of all kinds of things like religion, politics, current events, uh, celebrities, and such. Um, satire, of course, means uh, to use humor or exaggeration or irony uh, to ridicule or expose or criticize people's stupidity uh, or vices, and especially hypocrisy. So it's kind of fun to uh, poke fun at these zany ironies that are all around us and chuckle at hypocrisy uh, of all kinds. But how do we feel when uh, the parody is about us, (laughs) right? And so when Christians and churches are the butt of the joke, Uh, And uh, sometimes they're roasted over the fires of satire uh, because of hypocrisy, right? So, yeah, if we live contrary to the commands of the God that we preach, uh, then we're just we become more of a laughing stock uh, than a witness for Christ. So uh, the Babylon Bee, uh, it's run by Christians. They're not afraid to kind of have a little fun with the community of faith uh, and with some satire to remind believers how ugly and ridiculous it is when we don't act the way uh, we preach or uh, live the way that Christ wants us to, and how damaging that is. Uh, to our Christian witness uh, in the world. So I have a picture with the byline, and then I'll read the little post. That's kind of funny. So the byline is, Church with United in the name undergoes their fourth split, <laughs> All right, which is funny. So this is a wink-wink article, right? OK. So uh, First United Grace Christian Church of Christ And here's the little uh, article. According to unnamed sources within First United Grace Christian Church of Christ, the Church with United, prominently displayed on its sign out front, currently is undergoing its fourth split in the last two decades. The controversy that led to the split reportedly uh, concerns the brand of coffee grounds provided for the congregants every Sunday the prior split centered around the color of the carpet while the split before that was about the pastor's facial hair um, and 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 nobody who's still in attendance there can remember what the first split was all about but we are assured it was as serious as the previous cases. (laughs) The pastor at First United gave a statement. Quote, we are praying for those lost souls of the new congregation that have split off and started a work across town. We hope to see them in heaven, though it seems quite unlikely. (laughs) And we laugh. And we cry because uh, many of us have been through uh, similar situations where uh, churches split and divide or there's trouble in paradise over the silliest of things. And so, uh, yeah, it's an ouch for sure. We get the point. Bad behavior of believers brings disgrace to the name of Jesus reflects poorly on the cause of Christ and as a result it pushes unbelievers away instead of drawing them now the converse is true that exemplary behavior moral excellence a life filled with love and grace and mercy and goodness it brings honor to Christ and it and, and God uses it to draw people to himself and and really this is what it's all about uh, this is the theme of the section. Uh, that, that we're in here, chapter 3, which actually here in 1 Peter began in chapter 2 at verse 11. And some of your Bibles have titled entitled the section, uh, Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society. Uh, pagan just meaning unbelieving and perhaps hostile. Uh, and, and so, yeah, how to live for the Lord, this section that we're in, context here. How to live for the Lord in a hostile, unbelieving environment and maintain a compelling witness to the faith. And so this is it. And Peter's essentially really elaborating on Jesus' words that he heard 30 years uh, previous, uh, where Jesus said, you guys are the light of the world. It's the Holy Spirit indwells your heart. He says, I'm the light of the world, but I, by my spirit, live within you. And so your task is to live in such a way, to shine your light in such a beautiful way that others will see the goodness of your lives and be drawn to God, come to know him and be saved and live for his glory, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. So uh, he's, Peter's been talking now, as you've been seeing, uh, about shining the light or being ideal witnesses uh, ideal witnesses as ideal citizens, hardworking employees, especially when our bosses are unreasonable and harsh. That we still work as unto the Lord, and 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 we are to have beautiful, loving, grace-filled marriages that that are enviable. That draw people uh, to our Lord. And so now Peter wants to round out his thoughts here and kind of conclude this particular subject of shining for Christ in a dark world. And that's where we pick up now uh, chapter three, uh, verses eight through twelve. Verse eight. Finally, all of you, everybody in the room, we're not just talking about employees or wives or husbands, all Christians. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not pay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Then he goes to uh, Psalm 34. He says, because it's written, whoever would love life, and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, those right with him who live in right ways. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil wherever he finds that evil, even in his own people, you see. And so the ramifications may be different. um, But still, uh, Christians who sin, it's not a. It's not a. It's not a good thing. Obviously, it invites chastisement, and that's the point of there. And so we are going. That's our reflection uh, for this morning. The text, I should say, uh, it divides quite nicely. Uh, the first exhortation is that first paragraph, uh, verses eight through ten, uh, really. And it's the exhortation. He gives you five godly character qualities that make or break the church. This is what a true, healthy, active, um, blessed congregation looks like. And then uh, second is the admonition, the consequences of, uh, of either obeying these commands or disregarding them. You'll either be blessed by God or disciplined by God. So let's break it down, verses 8 through 10 on the screen. God's commands, you know, I like to say, first of all, that these uh, New Testament exhortations uh, are in command mode. They're every bit as much of a command as the Ten Commandments. They're the New Testament commands. They're not suggestions. They're not the way we, we might be or should be, but what God demands that we are, and so uh, that's what we're looking at now, uh, what he requires of, of children of God who've been filled with his own spirit, and so uh, back to that unsavory satirical article uh, about, the, <laughs> about the latest at the first United Grace Christian Church of Christ, uh, they were none of those things. Now, they were the opposite of every single word in the title. They weren't united. They were divided. Uh, They didn't have any grace for one another. They just had resentment and anger. And they certainly weren't acting Christian, because Christian means Christ-like. And so they were acting more like unbelievers. And definitely not a church, as defined in the New Testament, They're not a church. They're an organization of some religious people, but definitely not a church as the Bible defines church. In Acts chapter 2, we get a look at a real church. All the believers were together in unity. There it is, right there, the first line that describes us. They had everything in common, unity. You see, worshiping and sharing their lives together. They took care of one another's material needs. Uh, Even some would sell their possessions to help the needy among them. They shared meals together. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Of course, they were impacting the world as they looked on this group of people that behaved with this divine kind of love and had mercy and goodness, uh, even in the face of hostility toward them, Uh, that was really noteworthy, and so that was the church. And so the Holy Spirit has really kind of given Peter uh, some buckshot of these exhortations. There's really uh, five uh, prized virtues of Christian living that should be manifested in the church body, and then a way to respond there. So we'll dive in first to the five virtues a like-mindedness, sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility. Number one, like-mindedness. uh, what is it? Well, it. Uh, other translations have uh, living harmoniously or to live with unity, with one mind, though we are many. Uh, or single-mindedness is another word and so what does that mean it means uh, of course that we're not all the same thinking the same having all the same opinions and saying the same things that's not a church that's called a cult all right and so what he's saying really is that we live and breathe and die for one thing and that one thing is on our minds and in our hearts and that's what we share together it's the cause of christ it's the honor of god it's the truth revealed in the bible it's the gospel it's the witness to the world this is what we have in common and all of our interactions and everything else and all the relational hiccups and Everything else comes under and is subservient to the one thing that we all know matters most. And that's what guides us in how we speak and how we live and how we love one another. It's that one glorious thought that the Lord Christ is coming and he appears and this coming world is standing with imminent judgment hanging over its head. And God is in the business right now of saving the world. And this is why unity is so important because he's saving the world through the church. And if the church is divided, it will implode because Jesus said every kingdom divided against itself is going to fail. A house divided against itself will not stand. And this is why it's so important because bigger than our problems and our, our, our offenses and our hurt feelings and our opinions, much bigger than that, is the cause of Christ in this world. There's something more important than how I'm feeling or how I'm relating or whether or not we have a cross in the building or where the cross should go or is it okay to have a, a dove instead of a cross? How about the Christmas tree? A pagan symbol on the platform. Sorry, did you hear the little way I said it? (laughs) You know, just to show you the kinds of things. And you all know you've got a list a mile long. All such things must come under the one thing that matters most. The one mind, the one heart. Listen to how... Uh, Paul tells the Philippians, he says in chapter one, verse 27, one of my favorite verses, only let your manner of life be worthy of the good news of Christ. As you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the one faith, the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is just so important. (laughs) Now it's, keep the unity not at any cost because the gospel has hard and fast boundaries. So we don't unite around false doctrine or sin. So we don't say, hey, we all need to get along for the sake of we all need to get along. No, we all need to get along around the mind of Christ. That's the one mind that we share, the gospel, the revealed truth. So if somebody's saying, you know, I just think that all paths lead to God, and whether you're a good Buddhist or whatever, uh, we don't, we can't have fellowship with that because that's <laughs> flies in the face of what the scriptures saying. Jesus our Lord Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. That's our God. That's our one mind. That's what we live and breathe and die for, you see. So we can have different opinions about, should we sprinkle or baptize you this way or this way? You know, that's not an essential to divide over. But if you're talking about who is Jesus, that is just a nice teacher and and an example and not God very God of very God, then, uh, or, or affirming a lifestyle that God says this is not right, oh, and then we we can't be holding hands and all singing. You know the song, "Kumbaya," <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you <know? laughs> I don't know how that happened, but that's what we use for that. You know, uh, number two, be sympathetic from a word that sounds like it in Greek, sympathēs. You know, and it really means a combination of our English word empathy and sympathy. Sympathy in English is more you understand and can relate, empathy is you feel and you act. So it, it, the biblical word is both together you think, you feel, and it moves you to alleviate something or affirm something good because the ability to sympathize is the care enough to be able to. Uh, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. And sometimes it's not easy to do either of them because we're all full up of ourselves, and that's the problem. And so, yeah, it's slim pickings out in the world for sympathetic hearts. In fact, the Lord said, as a sign of the end of the age, He said, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of many will run dry. And so sometimes if we're not careful, the callous ways that the world uh, behaves in rubs off on us, you see. And, And boy, are they callous. I mean, the milk of human kindness has dried up like a stream in some barren wasteland during a drought. I mean, it just really sat out there. I just saw on the news a picture that moves me to tears when I think about it. There was an elderly man on a platform waiting for a train, and somebody was beating him up, and it looked like they could kill him. And people were filming it, and not one person helped. Just filming it. So that they can maybe, you know, have something go viral. This is where we're at in the world. And if we're not careful, we're just like, look, I'm all filled up with my problems. i got got financial problems, you may be saying, or I've got health issues. I'm thinking about, you know, who likes me, who doesn't like me. And I'm all filled up with the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. The reservoir's filled, man. So when you tell me about your back surgery or you know uh, your landlord troubles, uh, you know I'm all filled up with me at the moment. So I don't have any space for you to sympathize uh, with you, and that's too bad because what else is in our hearts is Jesus' Spirit, who is called our sympathetic High Priest. So something about God who's in us <laughs> by His Spirit sympathizes quote with our weaknesses so he's a good listener and he cares where you're at and and he knows how it feels so he relates to how it feels to be lonely or mocked or misunderstood persecuted and he draws near and there's a bonding in that and that should be the way we are. We need to yield to his spirit. Because listen, if let's say somebody here needs to be sympathized with by God, and God wants to encourage you. Who is he, who's he going to use? How does God encourage anybody? Well, he does it by his word, true. But more importantly, in some ways, practically speaking, he will encourage somebody through you, through our mouth, through our love. You see? So the reason you need to let God and I need to let God make us more sympathetic is because nobody will receive encouragement from God until he can stir that up in somebody. So it's God who wants to comfort somebody and then he stirs that up in you and then God's comforting them. Through us. That's why we need to do that. And so, yeah. Uh, brotherly love or affection, it's different from all kinds of other loves. There's a specific word for it uh, in the Bible. And it says, you guys have to remember, you're not, this is not the Rotary Club. This is not a religious group of people come in and sing spiritual songs. There's something supernatural, uh, miraculous has gone on here. Uh, Miraculous being that God Almighty has done something, put his spirit in our our hearts and knit all of us together as a forever family with with uh, bonds of love forged in eternity past that will last forever and ever. He says, you are brothers You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. How did that happen? We have something in common, don't we? Well, we were lost doing our own thing, and the kindness of God led us to repentance. And here's how it says uh, in the Bible. He says, he came to his own, the Jews, and and they did not receive him. And though the world was made by him, when he came into the world he made, no one recognized him as such. Yet to all who received him, Here we are. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, children not born in the natural way, not by human decision or a husband and wife, but born of God, breathed by God's spirit, and we became born again children of God in that life. And then he knit us to himself, and he knit us all together, and he says, you guys have the same benevolent father. You have the same horrific past. You've been called out of the same darkness into the same kind of light. You have the same savior, the same spirit, the same Bible, the same commands, the same struggles with sin, the same enemy, the devil, the same persecution. We are mocked in the same way, mistreated in the same way, insulted in the same way. And we share the same kind of joy and the same kind of hope. We are going to a place that the Bible says, eye has never seen, ears have never heard, nor has it entered into the mind of any man the wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 there. And so this is why he says, you love one another. You know blood is thicker than water, the saying, and it means family bonds, will always be stronger than other relationships. Well, in this case, yeah, because the thickness of the blood that we share was shed by the almighty God who clothed himself in human form so that he could shed his blood and save our souls. And that blood is something that we all share, every single Christian, whether they're uh, difficult to get along with, whether they're sweet and nice, or whether they're abrupt and rude. His blood bought them. His blood bought us. And then he says, you are to love your brother, your sister. Compassion is akin to sympathy, and, and they're really all kind of the fruit of love itself, but they all have kind of a different nuance. So when he says be compassionate, um, it's really, you know, sadly, sadly, sometimes I think when he says love one another, it, it is sort of like a no-brainer, like we don't need to be told that. In fact, First John, John says... Beloved, you have no need for anyone to teach you any of this. And he's talking about love. Because you have the Holy Spirit. And and he is upon you. His anointing is on you. And he teaches you everything you need to know about love. So A true test, if somebody's going to heaven or not and knows the living God, is this. Are you loving? It doesn't mean you're perfect. We have a sin nature. We have uh, two steps forward, three steps back kind of thing. But is there the love in your heart for God's children, 1 John says. If you don't have love for God and for his children and for the gospel... The cause of Christ, there's no compassion for lost souls. You better check yourself. You better check yourself. That's what he says. So the word compassion has a, a, a root to gut your guts. And it means this is no surface kind of uh, smiling and kind of faking your way through something. You feel it down deep because why? Why? It's born in us when we got born again. Who is God? He says, God is love. The God who is love, who commands us to love, dwells in our hearts. So really, the good news about this is is that it's uh, manifesting all of this stuff is not within our willpower. It's about yielding to the God who is all of these things. These things don't reside in our hearts. Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 7, he said, no good thing dwells in me outside of the Holy Spirit. I don't have any of this. I'm just the opposite. I'm impatient, I'm short, I'm uncaring, I can have a callous heart, all of those things, that's me. I'm self-absorbed in all of that. But the Holy Spirit of God came into us and it's learning how to set our minds on the spirit, which is life and peace and not upon the sinful nature. And to learn how to yield, to say with John the Baptist, I must decrease. He must increase and as we are filled with him and learn it's all about learning how to yield and cooperate to the spirit who can be compassionate uh, through us and i'll tell you what you know if, if you don't have this compassion or love uh well here's what first corinthians 13 says and this is sobering to me If I could speak with all the languages of the world and of the heaven itself and didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood everything, all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't have love, I would be nothing in God's sight. The world may have its opinions, I may have my opinions, But without love, a consistent love from God, through me, I'm nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, I guess, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So this is a sobering, sobering verse to just keep repenting, keep trying, keep yielding so that the love of God could be manifest through us, not just with smiles, but with action. It will either make you a hero or a zero. Uh, Moving on, finally, in the list, humility. He says, be humble. Humility and being humble, something that none of us are by nature, of course. But it's the cure-all for the congregational uh, conflicts. There'd be no conflicts because most of the conflicts in church and in our world, uh, as a result of you know, uh, pride, and ego. There's just too much of us. So the idea is a humble person. The word means low to the ground. A humble person who's low to the ground. There's not a lot to offend. There's not a lot about me, me, and my rights, and how dare you, and all of that is gone because humble people don't talk like that. Humble people are low to the ground. It means to make yourself small. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's the way it is, you see, and that's not easy to do. Only the Holy Spirit. Only This is why a radical Christian life is is a must. Because everything he's asking us to do requires a radical Christian commitment. This is a person who gets out of bed, the first thing they reach for is their Bible, not their phone. Unless the Bible's on their phone. (laughs) I'll give you a pass for that. But this is the kind of person who's always praying during the day, you know, and always thinking about the Lord and got worship music on in the background. Because, quite frankly, from, from my point of view, I can't do any of the things God requires of me without constant and dedicated Christian disciplines. I can't. I can't do any of it. I can't. I can't pass through the church. I can't be nice to people. I can't be nice to people who are nice. Uh, you know, if I'm, not, if I'm not in the mood, you, you know, if I'm not in the right place, let alone be nice to mean people. That's what he's going to ask you to do. Now, how in the world could you do that if you're not on your knees a lot? you got to be on your knees. you got to take this thing seriously. And the reason why you're so frustrated is because you're not, perhaps. Taking it as seriously as you should. And as I should, that's the thing. Well, I, you know, always. I don't have the power to be that I can't do that. God never calls us to do something that we can't do. He calls us to things that that with him we can do. You see, he wouldn't ask you to be or do something uh, that would just frustrate you. He's asking you to be this because you can. It's just a question of will you pay the price to deny yourself, your sinful self, pick up your cross and follow and let him lead the way. Humbleness, not easy to come by. The thing that always helps me, instead of being arrogant, insolent, stuck up, self-absorbed, self-assertive, harsh and aggressive and judgmental, um, (laughs) instead of that... Uh, to think about Christ and here's the thing because uh, back in the day nobody wanted to be humble because in the Roman Empire it made you less than it made you this, this, this. humility was for poor people down and out people the bottom of society was allowed to be humble but what they prized was boldness and self-assertiveness and everything that the Bible says you know, no You're not about tooting your own horn and all of that stuff. And so we look and we see the greatness of our God who is humble in nature. He told people, come to me. You don't have to be intimidated or afraid because I am gentle and, quote, use the same word, humble and lowly in heart. This is who he is. Philippians 2 says, though he was equal to God in every way, he did not use that fact to take advantage of that for himself. Rather, he, same word, humbled himself and took on the appearance in the form of a man and a servant. And he went to that cross as a humble slave doing the work the Father had for him, which was to die uh, for our sins. So if the Lord of glory can be humble in heart and to uh, get down on his hands and knees at a dinner and wash dirty feet, because none of the guys wanted to do it, you recall, they walked in fighting at the Last Supper. Who is the greatest one? I'm greater than you. No, I am. That's how they were doing it on the night of the great last supper and Jesus just telling them that he was going to the cross and he was going to die and that he had sorrow in his heart and they're all, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, who's the greatest here? And so when they went to into the house in the upper room, God made sure there was no servant there to wash their dirty feet. Nobody ate with dirty feet and there was nobody there by God's design. And nobody, well, when that happened, somebody in the party would say, "Okay, I'll wash the feet. But by doing so, that night, they would have admitted, I'm not the greatest, I'm the least. They would have lost the argument. So they all went to the table like this. And with their dirty feet. And Jesus looking at their dirty feet and they're reclining. And the dirty feet are all up in the air. (laughs) And they're all like this. And they all know what has to happen. And they're all trying to pretend it doesn't have to happen. And Jesus says, guys, you're fighting about who is greatest among you. And he said, you all missed it. You could have been the greatest here tonight. If you would have said, all right, guys, get in line. I'll wash your feet i'll humble myself but he says i am the lord you call and i'm quoting john chapter 13 jesus said you call me lord and it's true i am but i'm among you as one who serves i didn't come god i didn't come to be served maybe you think the marriage is all about being served maybe you think everybody ought to be serving you in some way but he said i i didn't come that way I came, my primary thing is serving, serving, serving. And he says, you will be blessed if you follow my example. We need to move on. So that wraps up the five qualities that either tell you you're in a church or you're in a group of spiritual people, religious kinds of people. Uh, Those things have to be uh, found uh, there And so now he turns his attention uh, to the outside. This is how we behave toward one another. And how about from the outside when they turn up the heat and they're hostile to us? How do we respond when they slander us, make fun of us, make stuff up, uh, make life miserable for us? How do we, how do we respond? Uh, so, yeah, do not repay evil with evil. Don't insult, uh, don't return insult with insult but return blessing. Because this is what God's calling you to do. And and this is who you are. And and this is uh, the way to inherit a blessing. So I don't know about you. I wrote down here who here wants God to bless them. (laughs) So you don't need to raise your hand. Because unless you're an unreasonable person, uh, you would raise your hand and say, I want God to bless me. Well, then here it is. he seldom says, you do this, I'll bless you. The favor of heaven, I'll turn my eyes toward you, and things will happen that wouldn't have happened that you will be very happy about if you just do this thing. It's, it's simple, but not easy. And, and so here it is. Return blessing in response to evil, which is against every cell in every human body. Uh, body and uh, this idea of course is out of the lips of jesus it's through the pen of paul and now the pen of peter it's all over the new testament because it's the hardest thing to do but here's the concept the concept is you are who you are you're a child of god and if you're a child of god your heart should be morally good And that moral goodness is moral goodness in whatever circumstance you find it. So when things are going good, you're morally good. When things are going bad, you're morally good. When there's money in the account, you're morally good. When When it's bankrupt, you're morally good. When your wife or your husband is on their best behavior and everything's wonderful, you're morally good. And when they're short or insensitive, or they treat you badly, you're morally good. And when your enemy harasses you, you're morally good. And when somebody slaps you upside the cheek with an insult, you turn the other cheek Why? because you're not evil. That's how evil people, it's like, you know, fixing, if you're dirty, you don't clean yourself off with more dirt. You see. There's this whole other way. And somehow Christians get this idea that because you're mean to me, then all bets are off. I can do anything I want now. But you never have a pass at behaving badly. And God will chastise sin wherever he finds it, which is coming up here in a bit. So we're not to be cursing back, yelling back, biting back, hitting back, you know, whatever. And uh, not to stoop to their level. Insult for insult, dagger for dagger. And worse, we like to one-up it all, you know. Here's the idea in Romans 12. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. We have to be Christian, which means Christ-like. And so how did Christ deal with this? He loved his enemies. The Lord said, and I quote, God your Father is kind to the wicked and ungrateful. And you are his children when you prove you're like him. You see? And Jesus asks, He goes, Okay, sinners love sinners. So you love people who are nice to you. That's nice. Yay, atheists do that. (laughs) Then He says, How about when somebody aggresses you, mean to you? Love your enemies because God is like that. He so loved the world that that includes a lot of enemies. And so we need to be like our father. And the Lord called out the Pharisees and said, "You guys are like your father." Yikes. He said, "You guys are liars like your father, who is the father of lies and who who would be filled with rage and revenge?" and wishing harm on somebody. Who who does that? That's not God. And that's our father. But there's another father out there, and his heart is filled with malevolence and evil. And boy, I'll show you. I'll bury you. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I watched that in a movie. He says, who's your father? Well, you can say all you want. God, 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 God. No, no, no. Let's just play the tape of the last year and we'll find out who you're more like. And I'm not saying that that condemns us. It just shows us, whoa, I got a lot of work to do in letting the Lord use me. One last thing here. I love this along these lines. King Saul's a maniac. He's jealous of handsome, young, courageous David. He wants him dead because everyone loves him, right? And he knows he's going to be the next king, but not if he could help it, he's going to kill him. So he goes chasing him around for eight years, eight years with a spear nearly killing him half of the time. So uh, he wanders into a cave, David's hiding in there, and he, can, and he has an opportunity. He doesn't see him, his back is turned. He has the opportunity, and all his guys are saying, kill him, kill him. God has given you the opportunity, David, kill him. And David says this, from evildoers come evil deeds. I shall not lay a hand on my lord, the king. He said, look, murderers murder. Killers kill. That's not my heart. Slanderers slander. Violent people are violent. Wicked people say wicked things. And he says, that's not me. Even when I'm aggressed and when they were killing Stephen with stones crushing the life out of him, piling on rocks after rocks where he can't breathe anymore. His last breath was, don't hold this sin against them, Lord, because his heart's good. It's good when he's in a feather bed, and it's good when he's under a pile of rocks. That's why he says, you got to do this, that you inherit a blessing. That's what he wants. And so let's finish up here. Um, We're going to turn to the psalm here. There we go. Let me say a, a last quote from a Puritan who wrote along these lines. To return good for evil is godlike. To return good for good is manlike. To return evil for evil is beast-like. To return evil for good is devil-like. Yeah, so now he wants to say, hope you are paying attention because as the psalmist says, those who pay attention and with their full hearts are trying. They're not perfect. None of us are. But you've embraced this way of life as your life then God is going to bless you. And if you disregard this and pay no heed to it, then no matter who you are, he's going to deal with you. And so, uh, for it is written for who would ever love your life. So he says, do you want to love your life? God gave you a life. Do you want to enjoy it? Answer, yeah. You know, like I always ask do you, the simple question, you know, would you rather have an uh, ice cream cone or a punch in the face. You know, it just it comes down to this. He's going to just reason with us, you know. So he says, "Do you like your life? Do you want to enjoy life? Do you want to be happy?" Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, do you want to see good days? You know, it doesn't mean there's no adversity because all Christians, God uses adversity. But do you want the adversity that God wants you to have and be blessed that he's using for uh, all things together for good? Do you want God's blessing or not is the question, right? Then three things you got to do. Number one, you got to keep a tight rein on your tongue. James, right? Chapter three. Keep, keep, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Uh, watch your mouth. Uh, keep it from evil and deceitful speaking. Uh, number two, watch your behavior as he's been saying. Turn from evil and do good. And number three, you've got to be all about peace. And that's not the peace of absence of war. That's between people, peacemakers. And pursue it. There's a difference. And then he says, because God is watching and he's going and, and he deals with us according to how we treat people. That's just the fact of life. So uh, the three things, if you want to enjoy your life and have God's blessing on your life, number one, you really watch your tongue, control your tongue. And James says, good luck with that. All right? (laughs) So James says, really, he really does. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, uh, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small little spark. The tongue is also like that, a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on the on fire by hell wow verse (laughs) 7 he goes on all kinds of animals birds reptiles sea creatures can be tamed and have been tamed by man but no human being can tame the tongue it's a restless evil full of deadly poison our tongue is prone to evil uh and and i'm writing Our, our tongues are prone to evil especially when we're under pressure and this is why he's saying watch your words because uh, never are you more tempted to lose it when you're feeling pain or aggression. Uh, So uh, though James says, while no man can tame the tongue, God can And it doesn't surprise me, and it's quite uh, really uh, a joy to notice that when the church was being born, And it was happening on the day of Pentecost, the miraculous new people of God, a new world order of human beings. What was the first miracle? As we were being formed, our tongues were being commandeered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now taking over control of the unruly member that no man can tame. Christianity 101. The tongue is tameable. How many times in my life and yours, before I'm speaking, as I'm thinking about saying it, and while I'm saying something that is inappropriate and wrong and ungodly and not godly, uh, I get a little this. Hey, hey, every single time, just shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, and I have a choice. Am I going to yield and be Christ-like or not? And it's really hard because, oh, you want to see it so bad, you know? <laughs> and uh, God says, if God tells you this isn't edifying, this isn't their business, this makes that person look bad, this hurts the cause of unity in the fellowship, stop it. And uh, you can. You can. He says, if anyone considers himself religious and doesn't keep a tight rein on their tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Oh, man. That's just a slap right across the face saying, my Christian life, if you're like this and saying whatever you feel like, your Christian life is worthless? That doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It just means you're not a lot of good to God here. Not a lot of good to God here. And then, who wants to get to heaven? Show me hands. And uh, No, <laughs> not yet. Uh, not yet. <laughs> who wants to get to heaven and find out you were a big problem and a lot of work? <laughs> oh, they are going to be Christians who are going to get there and find out, oh my goodness, I was a lot of work. You know? Oh, Anyway, the tongue, uh, number two, what does he say? Um, Conform your behavior, turn from evil, and do good. So it's not so much as that you don't, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a murderer, I don't tell lies, I, you know, all of the I don'ts. Well, congratulations, there are a lot of atheists who are like that, and uh, Buddhists do that, Uh, you know. It's not so, it's... It's the kind of thing you don't do because God has saved you and put His spirit in you, and you're saved by faith, and that's evidenced by what you no longer do. but the part that we forget is the doing part. so you turn from evil and you do good. so you know, you read your Bible, you give to the work of the lord you the plus side of the columns there, right. And so he says, if you want God's blessing, uh, you have to be about your father's business, doing for the kingdom, doing, there should be doing. Number three, seeking peace and pursuing it. It means above all things in your heart, you are a peacemaker. And here's what, out of all the Beatitudes, Latin for blessing, out of all the blessings in Matthew chapter five, it says, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. There it is, the number one thing it should be when you're in this place, is everybody's smooth and everything's going good, as best as you can. You can't always do that, but you can spin things in a godly way. Well, you know, you know, stand up for somebody. They say, wah, 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 and then you, did you understand that? <laughs> And when they're done saying that, you say, you know, John, John you know, John I didn't mean that. You know, you're, 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 and maybe he didn't mean it, but you're spinning things. You want people to get along, you see. Uh, and as we've already talked about, not at any expense. I mean, there are some things that we need to talk about for sure. Uh, but peace, peace, That you, he says that you desire it for people, In relationships, and you pursue it. You do something about it. You get involved. You're helpful. You iron it out, like when Paul wrote to the Philippians and he says, My dear brother, whoever that was, that brother knew he was talking to him. Please help those two women who are at odds and destroying the unity at the Church of God at Philippi. And they're famous you're going to meet Euodia and Sintike. Those are their names. And as soon as she says she's Eu- Euodia, you're like, oh, from Philippians. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, that's me, the troublemaker. Yeah, uh, that how sad. And of course, we're not going to do human things like that. But you, you get the point here. Those two women were making the church at Philippi a difficult place to be. And Paul said to the peacemaker, oh, I know you can do it. I know. God's going to give you the words. Get in there. Bring them together, you see. And, and one thing that's important, it's not all on us. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, dot, dot, dot. Because it takes two to tango, tango, or <laughs> tangle. Yeah, it takes two to do all of that. <laughs> Thirdly, Oh, yeah, that was thirdly. And then, <laughs> then this beautiful uh, promise that God is, look, do you want him attentive sitting there? Like, oh, let's do this. What do you want me to do? Let's do uh, yeah, come on. I, I'm God. I want to bless you. Ask me anything and I'll do it in my, you know, in my father's name kind of thing, right? Like he does. Do you want that? Or do you want a sign in the window that says, gone fishing? Or, <laughs> Or something like that. It didn't work for a service either, that little gone fishing. <laughs> I was whole, so hopeful. <laughs> gone fishing meaning God's got other things he's thinking about, like how to get your attention, how to correct you, how to shake you up a little bit, not how to bless you. So he says, which is it? I'll close with this. Uh, just an example of God's blessing, working through a hard time. There's this uh, Christian soldier I read about, and he was in a, a bar- in, in some barracks where there was a big bully atheist guy who hated him and mocked him and made his life difficult there. And one night he was uh, sleeping uh, there at... Uh, but, getting ready for bed and getting ready to go to sleep, and he was reading his Bible and praying. and uh, the the bully dude took two of his muddy boots and threw it right at him. And uh, you know, just boom, boom, you know, just whatever shut up over there or turn the lights off or whatever. And so uh, the bully woke up to find both muddy boots cleaned, polished, and set ready for inspection there for uh by, right by his bed neatly and it said in the article that three other guys wanted to start reading the bible with that guy he said well that was pretty amazing uh what you did there well you know i read the bible with you and they read the bible and three of them gave their hearts to the lord uh, over a silly thing like that. But this is what the blessing is. It's not just for your happy life. And so God will give you stuff. (laughs) But then God will give you the honor of, of him saving three people because you decided instead of throwing the boots back at him that you'd wash him off, clean him, polish him, and bless him instead. And now three people are in heaven because of that kind of thing, that's a blessing that we all want. Amen? amen? Let's pray. Father God, we look to you now. These are simple things, but not easy. That's for sure. So give us the desire to put some of this into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.